Welcome to a special five-part series, Investing in Women-Centric Transport with myself. I'm Timothy Maurice Webster, an author in behavioral psychology, and I'm collaborating and partnering with Nangamso Matabetse Maponya. She is a leading woman in transport. Nangamso, welcome. Thank you, Timothy. It's good to be here. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. As you know, I'm inspired by your commitment to women in transport. And since my research around leading women has brought us together, we've decided to have a conversation about your vision for transportation in a five-part series. How are you feeling about it? Are you excited? Very excited. This is one of my passionate areas. Let's go. In this first episode, we will explore your why. Why does it matter to you? Why are you doing this? And then over the next four episodes, we'll unpack your women-centric transport model. And then in the final episode, we'll unpack your vision for practically making it happen. So let's kick off this episode with the simple question. Who are you and why does this work matter to you? Thank you again, Timothy. Nangam so Maponya. I grew up in a location called Guazakele in Port Elizabeth in South Africa. Uh, my home was situated close to a bus stop. And we had a a privilege of just walking past two, three houses towards the bus stop, which for a person like myself, I never would have experienced a lot of restrictions in terms of being able to access transport. But as, as I interact with different people from different parts of the city, I realized that actually this kind of thing is very restrictive to many people who don't have as much access as I grew up having to the transport system. And when I say access, I mean that I could just walk a few steps to the bus stop. Not necessarily, it does not necessarily mean I could end up anywhere I wanted to end up using that transport. Okay. So right now, I'm a development financier. I work for the Development Bank of Southern Africa. I worked for the Public Investment Corporation before. I do a lot of work with development finance institutions, both in the country, the continent, and across the, the, the globe. And I've realized how much we focus on development in as far as our work, which is financing, is concerned. And very little on how the work that we do or the financing that we provide actually creates inclusion. As a transport professional in the Development Bank of Southern Africa, specializing in in financing infrastructure, transport infrastructure, I then realized that the infrastructure that we keep saying we are financing and we are providing is not necessarily providing full access for the bigger part of the population for more than 50% of the population, which is women. The kind of designs that we see and we support through the financing don't talk to the needs of the entire population. And therefore, what we're trying to see on developing and stimulating economic growth is limited to the by ex- exact amount of the group of people that we're leaving behind. So our potential to achieve economic growth is halved because we've left half of the population in, and not catered for. I'll, I'll tell you a story. Wait, before we jump into your story about your mother, I'm, I'm interested in why you've decided 
to become an activist though. Like you are literally a transport activist. You are serious about this. I mean, you know, you look at the average professional young woman, you're still young. You could be out here just making a lot of money, wearing your Louis Vuittons and just <laughs> having a blast and traveling and slaying and posting photos all over the world now that the world is opening up. Why do you care so much? I mean, you could, taking on the mantle of being an activist is very different from just championing transport internally at DBSA. Why, why does this matter so much? Um, that's, a, that's a very interesting question, Timothy, because when I pursued my chartered bank qualification, at the end of it, I mean, understanding that there's very few chartered bankers in the country, and then I obtained this qualification, and everyone around me looks around, looks and asks a question on, so what's the next step? Now you're going into banking. Are you going to look for a career in commercial banking or deep in the banking operations? And strangely for me, thought to myself, I would like to use my banking qualification for developmental purposes. And what does that really mean? It, it means that, one, what change are we bringing with the money that we are providing, with the financing that we are providing. And if I would be given an opportunity, number two, if I would be given an opportunity to be in a decision-making position, will I make the decisions that change the life of another person beyond just myself? Lastly, what is it that makes people not have access to the opportunities that we are creating? And for me, when I look at transport, I see that transport is one area that has a potential to either provide this access or hinder it. And with my work in transport, then I say to myself, what more can I do beyond just facilitating financing of infrastructure if that infrastructure does not provide access to the opportunities for everyone to participate economically, for everyone to be able to have access to education, access to health and access to everything that they need to they need to be able to leave. So that's why this work matters most for me. You are about to dive into a story. So the story of my mother, Nosizwe, bear in mind that I said we we lived very close to the bus stop. So this story may have just been one of the stories that are not as extreme as the other stories that, um, that are out there, what other people actually experienced. So my mother used to work as either a domestic worker or working in a hotel as a chef or a restaurant in, in one way or the other, in domestic environment or hospitality. So she used to wake up very early. And each morning she'd wake up at five o'clock, get ready, get herself ready. When she looks at the clock, first of all, she never used to switch on the, the alarm because my dad started work at eight. So he only had to wake up at after six and takes 30 minutes to get to work, right? Also using public transport, but his work allowed him to wake up much later. Because of the nature of the work my mom did, she needed to be at work early so that she can help prepare for the family she's serving so that they go to work in time. So she needed to be there much earlier. Now she wakes up this morning According to her, she looks at the clock, she sees 10 past five. Mm. And this is now 10 minutes late. She wakes up every morning 
run from one part of the house to another part of the house without looking back in the clock, tracing all her steps up until she leaves the door. Trace her steps, walks to the bus door, looks one direction. In a certain number of minutes, the bus comes, her daily routine, and she never misses that. So this one morning, she wakes up, she looks at the clock, it's 10 past five. Then she rushes because in her mind, she has already lost 10 minutes. So every step that she's taking in her normal routine, morning routine, she's doing it much faster. And again, she never looks at the clock. She rushes out, get to the bus stop. A few minutes later, now a little bit later than usual, but a couple of minutes later, a bus arrives. She gets into a bus and what you may not know is that commuter buses, especially that where majority of the commuters are women, the ones in the morning, they would start singing a song, they would pray and all the, all the way to where they have to go. Someone is going to start a song and there's a someone in the bus. I'm not sure if that still happens, but it usually happens a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so this morning, she gets into the bus in her normal routine, it's still dark, falls into her nap. She knows that she, some woman along the road will get into a bus and start singing. And this whole church sermon starts. So this morning, she gets to sleep, but the song doesn't start. Then she looks around then realizes that, no, man. Actually, there are many male voices in the bus. Mm. There are men only in this bus. Then she stands up and walks to the driver. As she walks to the driver... Then men start throwing all sorts of harassing comments to her, telling her how her back looks like and how she mm. can be in the bus to entertain them and all sorts of nasty comments. She walks to the bus driver, trying to understand, what is this? Where am I going? And it's mm. still dark. Where am I yeah. going? Who are these people? Then the bus driver says, no, these are the drivers. These are the bus drivers. We are now going to the depot. But what time is it? Then she realized that, no man, she actually woke up at 25 minutes past two. So wow. now it's around three, three o'clock before four o'clock. It's still dark. She doesn't understand how all of this happened. Then only it clicks that she actually woke up 25 minutes past two. But she didn't really look at the clock. Mm. throughout her morning routine yes yes but the bus driver then allowed her to sit close to her until they got to the depot where she needed to then wait a couple of uh, an hour or so for her bus that is going to end up where she would have started her ride she then started her ride at the depot all the way back to where she would have started the ride and then to work so first she lost three hours of sleep Mm. <laughs> secondly she had to go through all of this abuse on the way so one one thing for me with that with, with that story is that she she could have been exposed to harassment or even injury in the bus at the bus stop while she was waiting for the bus before 3 a.m in the morning yes secondly she could have been in a bus of people going to somewhere where God knows, and she just will not be, ever be found again because she found herself in a wrong bus full of men. Yes. So those, those things for me, and then I asked myself, she only had to walk a few steps to the bus stop. There is someone who had 
would have made that mistake, but needed to walk two kilometers to get to that bus, same bus stop. Would that person have survived? Would that person have made it if they had made the same kind of mistake? You, you are saying that your mother's traumatic, really harrowing experience did not have to happen. That ultimately, if the transport had been designed for her, if the system had considered a woman, her entire experience would have been different? So for me, the lesson from that is, is there enough awareness in men using and operating public transport around how comfortable they need to make everybody in the system? Do we know that we make people so uncomfortable? We make, as men, do men know that they make women uncomfortable? They make them vulnerable when they enter into a sports system. The driver in that instance happened to be friendly, but the male passengers were not friendly. We have male passengers who are not friendly to women. We have male um, transport operators who are not friendly to women. These are the things that we need to reconsider. Yes, I get that. But, you know, we know that men at CEO level, men at executive level are often very disrespectful and harassed. So whether it's at transport level or corporate level, men are... You know, and I have to say this on behalf of my brothers, we're often driven by our simple impulses. If you see someone, you become aroused, you want to say something. So my question is, as we go through this conversation, because I know that there are deeper, there are deep reasons why you believe strongly that beyond just awareness and educating men, because at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, men are not thinking. And no matter how much awareness we do, it's going to be a challenge to get them to, be think, to, to think past their man parts. So the question becomes, are you saying that there's something we can do inside of the bus? There's something we can do about how we communicate? Maybe there's a clock. There's something that becomes friendly to trigger the consciousness and enable a woman to, tr to be transported without the trauma? One of the solutions... I have in my head is a women only transport system. Okay. This takes away this takes away the responsibility for us as women as well as for the authorities to educate and create awareness and trying to change behavior amongst those who make women uncomfortable. Okay. This provides this provides a system where you can comfortably get into a bus where you know a driver is a female. So the passengers are females, so there was no likelihood of harassment by other yeah. females. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about this a bit more in future episodes when we talk about design or whatever. Uh, for now, I just wanted to know deeply about your why. And I think this story explains one of your why. Do you have other whys? Do you have other stories you'd like to share? Um, let, let's start with the why. Why does, it, why does this matter to me? I'll talk about three things that are very key in my development of this, of this model. One, I believe so strongly that the public transport system and the infrastructure are designed by men for men and they make women very vulnerable. Secondly, in the transport system, women are marginalized and excluded from opportunities because of this poor designed infrastructure. Thirdly, 
I believe that there's big restrictions in the career path of a woman between the ages of 16 and 36 in, in their very, very active career days. That 20-year period creates a lot of restrictions for women to access the economic opportunities to even move themselves towards their goals because they the choices that they need to make have to depend on whether they can physically access those opportunities. Can they get to school? Can they get to the library? Can they stay late to, to study longer in the library? Can they take that type of job in that particular area? So those are the decisions that women have to make outside a normal career decision, a normal career choice. So those are the three things that makes this, this work matter to me. I say to myself, it's no point in us occupying certain positions or making certain decisions if we still don't consider how this actually changed the life of everyone for the better. That makes complete sense. I mean, I was just imagining my, my niece. So she's in her mid-20s. And I'm just thinking between the time she was 16 where she could become independent until she's 36. I was just thinking about how much further along she would be if the transportation was designed to consider her, to protect her, to make her less vulnerable. Even now, I just think she would have been so much further along. I think she would have, even as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about why New, one of the reasons why New York is quite special is that if you go to a certain university and you live on the other side of town, you live in Brooklyn, you can get to Midtown, like it really facilitates fast movement. And if you think about some of the best cities in the world, it enables women to get from one side of town to the other quickly so they have more opportunities, more career. They, mm-hmm. You broaden their career spectrum. And a woman would be much more likely to go from one side of town to the other side of town if she knows she can be safe. And she mm-hmm. also knows that it's reliable. Because if something is breaking down all the time and mm-hmm. your employer is eventually going to fire you, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, one of the most fascinating things that in my experience in South Africa, I can't tell you how many times I've hired somebody or wanted to work with somebody, but they always come with an excuse about transport. There's a transport problem. There's a transport. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a big thing in this country, right? Of course it is. It is. You know, I'll give you an example now with my gardener. He comes over on a Saturday morning. So one time I asked him, where do you, he lives in Tembisa, I live in Centurion. So I asked him, where does he get off from a taxi? And then he says, no, I walk. What time do you leave? Because you're here at seven. What time do you leave Tembisa? He says, no, I leave Tembisa at five o'clock and then I walk. And this wait, is wait, not wait. something that- Walk is- all the way from Tembisa to Centurion. To Centurion. That was the biggest shock for me, right? Wow. The, the shock- the, 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 the bigger shock for me was the fact that he felt so comfortable that nothing is going to happen to him. Mm. It, it's not because he's physically able to walk and a woman would, would not be physically able to walk that distance. It simply means he felt so comfortable that nothing's going to happen to him. Wow. And this, these are the things for me when I think about, I mean, when you talk about transport, walking is one way of transporting yourself. However, is it a choice? Is it even a choice for a woman? Because they have to think of a part of their journey that 
probably is full of bushes and they could be dragged into the bush, get violated and all sorts of crazy things. But a man doesn't worry about that. It means the cost of him transporting himself from his home to, to Centurion is much lower than a woman. A woman would be forced to use transport because she, can't be, feel, she won't feel safe walking a long distance. These are the differences in how we need to design the, our entire environment. As you're speaking now, I'm just, my mind is racing back about my own male privilege and how many times I've jumped on a, I've jumped on a flight, not worried. I've jumped on a bus, not worried. I've jumped on transport, not even thinking about just how privileged I am as a man. And I'm doing things that a woman probably can't do. Or if a woman does do it, she's exposing herself to extreme vulnerability. So I would like for any man listening to this to be humble enough to acknowledge that we do have a certain privilege and that as a man, we should spread the word about how catcalling and little remarks and all of those things is a sign of our ignorance and our privilege and how much we can join this movement that you're on just by spreading awareness and consciousness. So I'm committing <laughs> to join <laughs> you, you as a man on this journey and to share with my friends. And the next time I see someone catcalling a girl or a woman, I'm going to call them out. Now, if I get shot, um, just know that I... <laughs> <laughs> that is my fault. We are on it's it. It's your we fault. It <laughs> we've, said it, we've said it here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we are on this. We are on this. Nobody's going to do anything to you. We're on this together. Yes. I mean, your why is really compelling. And I feel like this idea, I like the framing that you have going or what a woman experiences between 16 and... 36 and this 20 year window of opportunity. I think that was really, really clear. Any other, anything else you want to share to really to set the stage for this podcast series? I want to emphasize the point on the story I've just made now on okay. a bit for my, for, for the work, the guy who works at, at my house. Two things that happened there. He saved on the costs, which gives him the opportunity to maintain that job even if he didn't have the money. Whereas for a woman, it would have been a job lost. So that opportunity is there. It could have been there for either a man or a woman, but only a man could access it because he can walk two hours without fearing for his life. Wow. The second thing is, yes, the second thing is the, the planning, the special planning where people live and work has an impact on their productivity on their work-life balance, women tend to have tend to give more care at home than men. So if they had to walk for two hours, they're taking away time to care for their children. Therefore, not only does it save money to walk, but it, take, it would have taken away the opportunity for a woman to be able to do her house chores. And therefore, they would still not take that job for that very reason. And this is why we need to then think, when we design a transport system, we not only need to design a transport system that's reliable, that's cost efficient, but we need to, trans to design a transport system that's also faster so that you don't have a person spending two hours trying to navigate between home and work. Because for a woman, she needs to spend a lot more time at home, not in between. So those are the other things that 
we are not considering. So we need to talk about efficiency. The study that I, I did, Euphoria Via, I was studying the efficiencies of the PRT. And I was looking at cost, time, and speed. So to be able to meet the needs of a woman, you need to make sure that all of those things have been taken care of. Taken care of. Because a woman doesn't have two hours of commuting without hurting the well-being of her family. I, I need to get to the next point. Why is women's mobility important? I look at the freedom of movement as a human right and an economic imperative. Not being able to participate in economic growth, it hurts women and children and with the community, and therefore it hinders full potential growth for the entire economy. Therefore, safe transport can reduce harassment, violence, can give everybody opportunities. It can actually improve the state of the communities and the state of the economy and the country, the society in general. So these are the things that for me, I think women's mobility needs to be considered greatly in us achieving the growth that we need to achieve as the country. I remember being in Japan and we went from Osaka to Kyoto to Tokyo. It was like we were on the bullet train. The fact that they even named it the bullet train made me think about just how important speed was to the growth of that society and how accurate the transport is and how predictable. If you think of how women have been channeled through the system in Japan and how many women leaders there are. And if you think about the countries where there's so many women leaders, I'll bet you there's a correlation between fast, efficient, safe transport and women's leadership. When you talked about men privilege earlier, I was thinking whether you've ever thought of getting off the bus after the last passenger got off and you, you were left to be the only passenger in the bus with the driver. If you've ever considered getting off and just finding another way home because you, wow. you did not feel safe being the only person in the bus with the driver. That's crazy. I, that, that's not even something any man could probably relate to. Exactly. Exactly. This is, this is one thing that happens to, I can tell you, majority of women. You're either not going to get in the taxi if you're the only one, or you sit there praying that the next person gets in the taxi so that you're not left alone with the driver. And if you're the last person, everybody is getting off. If you're the last person, you pray another person comes in or you actually considering getting off with the dangers wow. of walking the remainder of the trip. But you actually feel like I would rather walk alone than being stuck with a man in a moving vehicle where he has the control. I'm just thinking, I can't wait to get to the design episode where you share ideas like, I mean, even if there were panic buttons on the back of seats, for example, mm, in yeah. transportation, anything, I mean, there could be an immobilizer, all types of stuff. So anyway, I don't want to spoil this. You know, I'm looking forward to these episodes. <laughs> in the next episode, part two, we're going to get into the first part of your model. Let's just tease the audience a little bit. Give us the title of the first part of your model. Okay. The first part of the model talks about infrastructure. Okay. So we're yeah. going to get into infrastructure and the power of infrastructure in the next episode. So thank you so much for listening. Make sure you share this episode with anyone who cares about the health, the vitality, 
the life force potential and the power of a woman and how when a woman is in power, you know, we can move a nation forward. That's what this podcast series is about. Nangamso, it's such a pleasure and an honor to do this series with you. Thank you. Let's keep it moving, literally. <laughs>